Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk No Versus After Dark. We are continuing our discussion from earlier tonight on spiritual bypassing and mental health issues for Gnostics and Esotericists. Uh, this discussion has been kind of an ongoing discussion, and I think uh, Bishop Peterson and myself. Um, okay, I think ready? this is what probably since Robin Williams, this has become a, uh, I think, a very hot topic over Facebook. We thought it was a good opportunity to get back uh, one of our guests that we had on last year, um, Alan Salmi, who uh, um, is a licensed clinical um, social worker. He's an astrologer and esoterist living in Chicago. Uh, it was a great guest last year, so we welcome you back, Alan. Yes. Thank you once again. Good to be back. Well, you know, we uh, had a pretty good discussion. Uh, um, I think you did a pretty good job during our video show of kind of talking about this idea of of sp spiritual bypass. Um, one of the things that we didn't really, I think, cover during the video show that maybe we can talk about a little bit um, is that sometimes, and I think anyone who's been involved in any group um, – not only I think can see kind of the spiritual bypassing that the leader does themselves, but there also tends to be kind of, I think, an avoidance um, and maybe spiritual bypassing on some of the uh, individuals in the group making excuses for, 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 for the bad behavior, whether it's abusive behavior, whether it is um, behavior that's really not conductive to a group, whether that involves addictions, things as in alcohol abuse or drug abuse, uh, whether it is sexual abuse of some form, uh, whether it is uh, uh, kind of narcissistic behavior or very sexist uh, behavior. I think any of us who have been involved uh, in any form of esotericism have probably noticed this at least one time, if not multiple times. Wouldn't you agree, Bishop Peterson? Uh, a few times at least. Uh, yes. <laughs> um you know, um, so we've talked a little bit during the uh, during the video show on some some of this kind of um, passive self exploration. So we're not really avoiding things and making things ourselves. But for those involved in groups, I mean, is there anything that we can do as individuals when we notice this behavior that um, leads not only to a better, I guess, mental health of the group, but also improved mental health of ourselves. Because I think sometimes, and I know Bishop Peterson and I have talked about this in the past, is that sometimes I think the behavior when we uh, kind of do this avoidance um, actually kind of empowers uh, and makes excuses for these people's bad behavior, and they continue and continue and continue. Yeah. Nobody ever calls them out on it, you know? And it sort of empowers them, if you will, because they're, they're never called out on it. Well, you know, I, I would say it's almost like um, spiritual bypassing by proxy. Mm -hmm. It's where you have a situation where um, you have somebody whose behavior is completely out of control. Um, and they are, pro they, they are quite possibly fancying themselves spiritual. And that's why they can get away with this. And other people around them will make the same excuse. Well, they're just on a different level than us. Right. And despite the fact that these people are steamrolling everybody around them and causing wrecking all kinds of havoc. Mm -hmm. So I think that I, I, I think that it, what can happen is that there can actually be a spiritual bypassing by proxy where we make excuses. And we're not helping that person, by the way. Well, I just recently saw this myself. Uh, what was the name of the fellow who did the uh, 
the sweat lodge ritual. He was a big new age oh, guy. That spent, guy. I forget his name. Yeah. But, yeah. Ray something or other. But yeah. he, he spent two years in prison from the deaths of the people from the sweat lodge. And now he's coming back and saying, you know, all of this stuff has now been grist for the mill for him. And, you know, he's coming back and doing teaching from this perspective. And, you know, and it was very interesting to see that announcement and what the what the reaction was. Some people were like, why is this guy not admitting to himself that he really isn't much of a spiritual teacher if, if this was happening? And then a lot of other people going, you know, give him a second chance. You know, he's learning from this. And, you know, and, you know, it's like, where does your, how far can your compassion extend mm -hmm. to yeah. somebody who clearly screws up so badly, you know? And where is your spot where, you know, the Quakers have a very nice tradition of this. It's called speaking truth to power. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the nicer things in the in the Quaker tradition is being able to find that place of calm within yourself that's really connected to spirit and confront the, the difficulties that are facing the group or people or your government. And mm -hmm. I think that that is at least part of the solution to these kinds of group processes, people being willing to speak up uh, from a centered place. And it's not easy to mm -hmm. do, but it's, I think, an important part of the spiritual journey. I would agree. Um, kind of uh, going back a little bit, one of the things that we were talking about during the break is I have encountered within the alternative spiritual uh, community a, a sometimes a resistance toward tra any form of traditional psychotherapy or mental health treatment. And I've had, been in situations myself where I've had severe issues. Uh, it was in major crisis. And uh, I was receiving conventional treatment, which, by the way, was working, and, but only to be told by other esotericists that I was going about things wrong. Uh, individuals who had, by the way, had no mental health training whatsoever, but who decided that they knew what was best. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, this, again, is a, it's, it's, it's a form of external, I think, spiritual bypassing, where, where an individual perhaps out of denial about their own issues, uh, will minimize and dismiss and criticize another person's uh, choice to take on treatment for something that is not necessarily or completely spiritually centered. Have you encountered that a lot, Alan? Oh, yeah. And it happens not just in the esoteric community, but it, it happens, for instance, in in some of the fundamentalist Christian groups. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, my own sister has a master's in divinity in Christian counseling and um, talk about gulfs, spiritual gulfs. She is a licensed Assembly of God minister, mm -hmm. um, which is about as fundamentalist as you can get. But um, her job is basically um, private practice of Christian counseling to people but mm -hmm. she still runs into denominations that say, just pray your way out of things. And it's very frustrating for her, too, because she has these kinds of, of difficulties. I, I think it's a parallel process that can occur in the esoteric community, too. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it's oftentimes from people who don't understand some of these. But it also echoes some of that problem that I spoke of last year, which is that yeah, there are genuine concerns that esoteric practitioners have in being able to be open to mental health practitioners, mm -hmm. and and you know what what is it that uh, 
you know, will they accept what their beliefs are and that sort of thing. So, you know, there there is a bit of that uh, as a real concern, but I don't think that, that should stop a person from getting the treatment or the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, being hooked into a good spiritual support network, you know, having a church, having, you know, for instance, in the Gnostic movement, um, there are a lot of people who have good experience and are well-versed enough to be able to say, no, this is you need. You need something that I can't offer you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to look at this with a professional. Yeah. 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 Well, I think you know uh, one of the issues, Alan, and uh, we talked about this briefly uh, right after Robin Williams' uh, death, is that in many cases, people I think in spiritual communities sometimes see if they're having any mental health, uh, health issues, sometimes as a sign of weakness. Either they view it themselves, or they view that the others that they're working with are going to do this. So whether they are having um something like severe depression um they may avoid it they may avoid talking with it with others they may even put on a mask and uh, kind of parade themselves around of being all fine when internally they're going through all sorts of struggles also that um you know nobody views this as weakness and i think that bishop peterson and i would agree on this is that you know it's not a sign of weakness at all you know to me mental health issues is no different than a friend coming to me and saying you know i've got cancer i'm sorry to hear that i've got you know uh, diabetes i have a heart condition you know these are all ailments we would expect our friends to go to a doctor and get treated on no different than with a mental health issue if i had a brother who says i'm going through this or this you know I may sit there and be a good ear for them. I may listen to them. But at the end of the day, um, I'm not going to tell him to go sit in his room uh, with some candles burning and sit in his asana and meditate for 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, while those things may be helpful, he really needs to go and get some mental help from a profession. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, and I think it, there's uh, sometimes I believe that certainly there is a spiritual component there. Our lives are wedded to spirit, but at the same time, we are also physical beings. We have neurology. We have we have a past. But we our bodies uh, have our bodies and our minds have taken on various traumas and injuries as well as joys and pleasures over the years. Mm-hmm. And ignoring. The reality of that and the, and the possibility of genuine damage or learning uh, maladaptive coping techniques, um, all of those things are very, very present. And there's nothing, I think, unspiritual about recognizing that one is human and has been a part and has had these human experiences. Sure. And you have to realize, too, that in, in modern society, some of the mechanisms from 100 300, 500, 2,000 years ago don't exist anymore that would have been the pattern. You know, um, there's a, there's some interesting work being done in the last 30 years of what really are the things that are the most uh, useful in psychotherapy. What are the common factors? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the fact that you have a close relationship with someone who's willing to work with you that you trust. Mm-hmm. The fact that they keep you focused on your goals, that they have you realize what your strengths are and your own resources, and only a small percentage is the actual technique that they use. And one of the forerunners of, of this, what it's called um, 
uh, the common factors ideas in psychotherapy actually wrote a book in which he talked about um, how these common factors existed with priests in the Middle Ages, with shamans, with medicine men, and all the rest, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't all have somebody like that. We don't all have the village hermit that we can go to who's not the priest. He lived his life out, and now he's devoting himself to to the spirit, but still has people come to him for advice. Um, you know, and oftentimes they would have many of these same common factors that could help people. You don't have many holy hermits out there lately, you know. Um, so now it's the mental health professionals. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that research shows that about 80% of the time, uh, having a relationship with a good professional is effective, which is actually even more effective than the medications that they can give people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it, the importance of finding a therapist, a good therapeutic fit, and probably also giving the process some time to work, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Um, you know, it, um, anybody who's ever engaged in any kind of spiritual practice will tell you that it takes a while for the practice to become uh, become truly effective. And sometimes you're going to struggle with it. But I would imagine, it, but over time, you, the, the, the fruits of that practice can come. I would imagine the same is true with the therapeutic relationship. Oftentimes, there are, there are some new methods and things which are a little bit more time limited mm -hmm. and uh, are focused. It's all a matter of ongoing research and everything. But, um, but yeah, you don't have to be in therapy for years and years or like uh, what was it, uh, Woody Allen in one of his movies, I think it was Sleeper, he shows up 200 years in the future and says, oh my God, I'd be almost done with psychoanalysis by now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, even, even what's remarkable is some of the research, even with psychoanalytic treatment, they, they did a research where um, people were offered psychoanalytic treatment. Most of them actually benefited from three or four uh, sessions and then dropped out and it was supposed to be long term mm -hmm. but even something that short term was found to be helpful to people who'd have thunk you know so yeah. getting some kind of help um for the short term and and keeping in contact uh definitely useful um and if you're on the spiritual path you will have those bumpy parts just like anybody else um you know i think it's it's yet another tool that you can use let me ask you, do you think that there are ever times when it's appropriate for a mental health professional to basically uh, tell somebody who is on a spiritual path but who is clearly engaging in spiritual bypassing, that is to say over-spiritualizing uh, what are in fact very concrete physical and, and, and mental issues – um, to say to that person, you need to back off your practice because there are other things that you need to work on. I'm thinking about somebody whose life is in complete disarray. Uh, they don't have good relationships. They uh, can't hold a job. Uh, they've got you know various problems, very obvious problems to everybody around them, and yet they uh, persist in the pursuit of certain spiritual practices. Um, do you think there's ever a time when it's appropriate for a therapist uh, to perhaps diplomatically suggest that maybe part of the problem is that 
they are spiritual bypassing and that they need to they need to start applying practice to concrete day-to-day living? Um, I think that's entirely appropriate. Uh, of course, it has to be done delicately. Otherwise, the person mm-hmm. is going to think that their particular path is being, you know, dissed mm-hmm. by the therapist. But that's where it's oftentimes helpful to have a therapist who's familiar with your spiritual tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had someone coming in from the esoteric side of things, I would look at them and say, you need to be doing your earth work, you know, you need to be looking at the practical matters of things before, you know, get your first and second chakra working before you can, you know, do some more of the higher level stuff. If you can't even tie your shoes in the morning, my God, you know, what will opening your psychic vision do for you, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there and there's some, some interesting ways of working with, with all of that, too, if you are then skilled within the spiritual path, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's why it may be useful to think outside the box and maybe even have a session with, with somebody's spiritual mentor, you know, and do a conjoint therapy session or something like that, you know. So that would uh, speak to the importance of spiritual, whether they're whether they're clergy or spiritual leaders, whoever group leaders or whatnot, to uh, being aware of the mental health needs of people in their group, and be willing and open to working with mental health professionals. Oh sure, I, I think that's that's part of your obligation as a leader. I mean, mm-hmm. if if you're going to be looking at your flock, as it were, mm-hmm. um, you should know what's going on with the person. Um, you know, there are certainly different uh, levels of engagement uh, depending on the group dynamics, but to not know that somebody's partner is having cancer, um, you know, and uh, that would be you know, having enough trust built up that the person could confide that to you, et cetera, and so that you can help to guide them, um, it would be a sign of a healthy group. You know, if people are afraid to talk to their their leader about some of these things, uh, boy, that's something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, both for, you know, I, I would say everybody should be watching out for that. Uh, and particularly if you are a member of a group and you realize that you don't trust your leadership and that you're afraid to talk with them, that's a real issue. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if you're a leader and you find out that people are afraid to talk with you, you might want to maybe talk to somebody yourself. Right, right. Yeah. And that's why a good leader is always working on their own stuff also. You know. Absolutely, and that's why good leaders uh, frequently will have a, have their own systems of accountability, or they ought mm-hmm. to have systems of accountability. Yeah, having somebody as their own spiritual consultant or guide, um, their own confessor within, you know, the the um, Catholic traditions and that sort of thing. Um, all of that is very very useful and helps to keep the person in balance. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father Tony, you've remained quiet. Uh, any feedback? Any questions that you have? I was going to see if uh, if I was pulling a, a last week and see if my audio wouldn't work. <laughs> it seems to be fine. Um, I do. I don't quite know where to start. Um, I've been thinking about this issue from a, or I've been trying to think about it from a Gnostic point of view. In that. Mm-hmm. You know the the, the Gnostic worldview um, places a a lesser emphasis on um, 
on the physical body and even on the mind to a certain extent. Obviously, in order to be a Gnostic, there's a certain intellectual component to it. So uh, I don't think you can necessarily ignore any of it, but uh, certainly uh, Gnosis is much more important in a Gnostic point of view than mental health. Uh, w would you agree or disagree with that for the, the bishops? Mm. Well, well, that's an interesting question because one has the question here of if a person, person's mental health is somehow disordered, mm -hmm. how does one determine whether they are experiencing gnosis or whether they are just further deluded? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not saying by any means that mental suffering is unimportant. And then I, I also believe that mental suffering, in point of fact, can be an important part of the path to gnosis. But um, most people don't, uh, don't fare well under sustained suffering over very long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And that can lead to um, some severe physical consequences that may in fact make further spiritual growth very difficult if not impossible. So I would say that, uh, you know, and Alan and I have talked about this in the past, ha having bad feelings, having suffering, the importance at times of staying with that, not trying to bypass it and saying this is a, this is a I'm going to be spiritual and be above all this, but instead I am going to sit with this suffering right now can be a very imp uh, useful thing both in the terms of mental both in terms of mental health as well as spiritual development but if at some point while sitting that with that for a while there comes to a point where one realizes that the disorder may be due to factors that can or ought to be changed here on the material plane, that does need to be dealt with. And possibly the path of addressing uh, destructive habits or ways of thinking may itself be part of the liberation that Gnostics look to or look for. Mm -hmm. That would be my I, understanding. I, I, I think there's, I would agree with everything Bishop Peterson just said. And I think, you know, part of that you know, a path of gnosis is, you know, kind of that honest self-evaluation. I mean, that examination of conscious uh, uh, daily, nightly, uh, you know, before one's morning prayers, before one's meditation, before one's practices. But, you know, that takes a certain amount of self-awareness. It takes a certain amount of integrity and honesty and not just Avoidance. I think that's kind of the key that we've been yeah. talking about t t today is that some people simply avoid. They avoid recognizing certain behaviors within themselves. Uh, you know, and it can be simple behaviors. You know, you're noticing, you know, physical quirks. You're noticing, uh, um, you're noticing certain patterns, you know, being honest with yourself during you, during this time. And if these are things that you can't overcome yourself, obviously seek outside help but i think that um um if you don't kind of seek a ways to improve these i mean how can we say that one is going to 
get further down this path of gnosis, of enlightenment, if one can't be brutally honest with oneself? You know, if you can, I think you're kind of at a standstill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, well, sorry. I have to. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It, it, I think that avoidance is the key word there, especially for mm-hmm. Gnostics, because, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we're all about knowledge, right? So mm-hmm. um, self-knowledge, know thyself, all that stuff. That's very important. Um, and the, the part I'm not quite connecting yet is um, in this entire conversation, both in the video and in the podcast, we, the, the, the word better has come up a lot. And I'm I, I'm wondering better in relation to what? So uh, you know, um, go get therapy because it's better, uh, or you know, if you're experiencing this, it'll be better. Do, do you do you understand what I'm asking? I I don't. Are you saying uh, when we use the term better, are we saying are you using it and saying that therapy is better? Th- are you suggesting that there's an implication that? Therapy is better than looking for a spiritual solution, or are you talking about when you're talking about better? Are you saying getting better as in terms of developing higher functioning or being happier? Yeah, that's um, more the second. Um, I, yeah. yeah, I'm not. I don't think anybody's saying that therapy or spiritual practice, one or the other, is one is better no. than the other. No. I, I right. think that we're talking about two different things, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I guess the issue is. Uh, the question for me, rather, is, you know, what is uh, what is the desired outcome from therapy? How does it tie in with what we're talking about as Gnostics? And what's the difference, I guess? Well, you know, it's, you, you, thank you for bringing this up, Father, because I was thinking about something today that I think ties in. Uh, I read a story about a woman who uh, came in for mental health treatment, and she was severely depressed, severely depressed. And she was given medication, and she got better. Her mood improved. She was more functional and that sort of thing. Then she came back to her doctor and said, I want you to reduce my dose. And he said, well, why? I mean, you're, you're, you're better. You're better. You're, you're getting better. And she said, yes, but I am still married to a mean, abusive alcoholic. And I need to feel this so that I can then, and I, I need to know this, so that I can then make the choices necessary to alter my circumstances. Mm-hmm. So um, what, I, what I would say is that uh, there is a certain pessimism in my view, involved with Gnosticism, in that we recognize that there that we are imprisoned by certain systems, and avoiding knowledge of those systems or avoiding engaging with those systems is not part of the Gnostic path. So um, I think that when I'm ta- when I'm talking about getting better in terms of mental health treatment, I would like to see people be given the agency and the tools so that they can first of all address ways of thinking on a very um, a, a very physical very high level I should say that ways that are an, impeding their growth and impeding their effectiveness and creating additional stresses and sorrows for them and perhaps affecting their moral behavior so that they are better able to cope with uh, to identify and cope with the larger structural things including those on the spiritual level uh, that are further impeding their liberation as well as the liberation of others. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, here's my counterpoint. Um, mm-hmm. I I think that re- one of the reasons why the the analogy of the pearl is used so often in the Bible and in Gnostic mm-hmm. scriptures is because of the way that pearls get formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this before. Uh, in order to get a pearl, first the oyster has to experience some sort of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there has to be this grain of sand that irritates the pearl enough that it then goes on to secrete the uh, the, the substance or whatever it is that, and and creates the pearl. Mm-hmm. What I what my concern is, and again, I'm 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 not trying to convince anybody one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I just I'm trying to understand this myself. Is it? You know, what, what are, I guess what is what you're looking for in a therapy session? Is it to achieve that kind of state of comfortable mediocrity where mm-hmm. everything's pretty much okay and I have nothing to worry about? So, therefore, why bother with any of this gnosis crap? Mm-hmm. I would certainly hope not. Uh, or I, I mean, I, I don't know about other, I would certainly hope not. Um, what I can say is somebody who has struggled with mental health, health issues for most of her life, um, when I have, when I've been at my worst, the, the, the situation has been that I've not had much gnosis at all. I have been completely blocked. Yes, I, you know, yes, there is irritation, but that irritation is not producing a pearl because I no longer have the uh, ability to create the pearl. What I'm getting is an ulcer, mm. and it's this burning, <laughs> digging wound that mm-hmm. it's not. It's not creating the, you know, the the calcium that or whatever the material is that coats the the, the irritation and then produces that lovely pearl. It's actually something far more deadly and damaging. Damaging, mm-hmm. um, because I have been so wrapped up in a series, an intricate web of damage that has created, you know, that has made it impossible for me to uh, even hope for that pearl. What I have found is when I, for example, started learning about emotional regulation and began to learn to question a lot of my beliefs and assumptions, which I believe is a part of the Gnostic path, Mm -hmm. at least a preliminary one, um, I did not reach a happy medium. I have not, I've never been at a happy medium, but I have found that I was able to, first of all, function much more effectively and, for example, actually have the energy for spiritual practice, which has led to a greater awareness, in, in, my, in my case, of even deeper issues that I have to struggle against. Mm-hmm. So for me, the, the, the state of being in the, in the thick of depression or anxiety or in trauma um, hasn't been productive. It may have given me some material to work with later on in life, but the goal of getting out of that was not to reach a happy medium. It was to enable me to function again. Um, and I think for some people that's going to be the case. Now, as you pointed out, if the goal of therapy is just to make somebody happy, first of all, I don't know if that's entirely possible. Um, but I think that for somebody who is on seriously on a spiritual path, if they can pursue that spiritual path while they are in therapy, that's likely not going to happen because they are going to continue to become more aware of 
the people and the the, the realms and the spirits and uh, what and what's going on around them. So that would be my take from my own experience. I, I have two things to say about that. Um, one is that any therapist that's worth their salt uh, would see somebody getting to a point of apathy as another problem. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when when I see improvement in my clients, I want to see them getting more into the stuff of life, including getting back to their spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is the pearl analogy is interesting because it reminds me of uh, a, a couple of days that I spent with a uh, Tibetan Buddhist uh, Lama, uh, Nagpa Chogyam Rinpoche, who's a uh, part of the, what's known as the Erotair. He's actually from Wales. And uh, one of his teachings was on Dukkha, which is the first noble truth of, of Buddhism. And he had a totally different take on it. Most people translate that first noble truth as life is suffering. But he made the interesting point that uh, if you look at Buddha's life as an example, why was it the way that it was as a teaching example? Because this guy, he was a prince, he had all the women he wanted, he was the best at all the games, he was the best archer and everything else. Yet, something else still spurred him on. And he said, dukkha is in fact dissatisfaction. That you can have everything right in the world, but there is still that kernel of dissatisfaction that leads you on the spiritual quest. So even Bill Gates, probably has that little irritant that is saying, wait, there's got to be more to life. And that's why he's giving away a bunch of his money and, and doing the things that he is, because he's trying to fill that piece of dissatisfaction. So I don't think you can ever get rid of the grain of sand, you know, uh, especially if you're on the spiritual quest, you will feel that, that, that eternal question of, isn't there more to life than this? And, and that is always with us to a certain extent. And especially with us when we have the foundation of our mental health and then can start to look and go, oh, wait a minute, what more is there? You know, what's, what's the knowledge? What's the enlightenment that I really seek to, to explain all of this wonder that really is life? And I would even go, so I, thank you for that, Alan. I'd also point out that, um, Part of the therapeutic process uh, may not be, in fact, getting a person to be happy, but actually to get a person to have appropriate feelings in appropriate situations. Um, I remember when I was in therapy with you, and I had some things to be angry about, and I couldn't be angry about them. And that's some of what you and I worked on in therapy, was mm -hmm. getting to the point where I could actually get angry with somebody who absolutely deserved my anger. Right. Uh, and, and merited that. Um, and, and when I was doing some reading on spiritual bypassing today, um, somebody pointed out that what will happen with somebody who's spiritual bypassing is that they will assume that they are supposed to be at peace um, and will repress all negative emotions or they get confused about what a negative emotion is and they will uh, conflate, for example, aggression with anger. When in mm -hmm. fact, they're two different things. Right. So... Um, I, I think that if a person is going into therapy thinking that they're going to become happy as clams and never, uh, and, and never 
you know, they'll, you know, they'll buy a suburban house and have two and a half kids and drive a four door, whatever they people drive these days. I don't know that that's um, the goal for a lot of people. In many cases, it may be to be actually able to feel appropriately, and that will include feeling um, negative things in response to awareness of evil and uh, slavery. And I'm talking about mental and spiritual slavery sure. and all of these things that we Gnostics are concerned about. One of the most telling anecdotes of that was a woman that was in the early days of psychoanalysis and she was afraid of the government and afraid of what they might be doing with her. And the analyst worked with her for two years and she gained some confidence and two weeks later was picked up by the Nazis and put into a concentration camp. You know, uh, that, that's pretty chilling. And I think that there's now a realization that people are not just in this world in their head, but they live in society. Mm -hmm. And uh, that you can't become too complacent. Uh, there's work to do in the world also, mm -hmm. you know, and there are injustices and it's perfectly appropriate to be completely pissed off over certain things because that's where change can happen in the bigger world and where you can find your own capacities than for making a change in the world, which then is self-actualizing. Definitely. Yeah, I would mm -hmm. agree. Mm -hmm. Does that help, Father Tony, or do you have more counters? Yeah, it does. I, I, I guess I'm just, because uh, we ranged over a wide variety of topics there. So, uh, you know, yeah. it, it does help to put it all into perspective, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. So one other one other question that I had, um, you mentioned uh, in the video show that you were, um, I forget who it was, maybe it was you, Bishop Peterson, who said, you know, that, that some spiritual traditions or their, their expectation is that people would just pray all their problems away. I think it was Alan, but yeah, yeah I've heard a lot been. about that, yeah. 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 So, uh, so why doesn't that work? Do you want to answer that, Alan, or shall I? Or should we make Bishop Canterbury answer it? Um, depends on what you mean. I mean, there are many different methods of prayer, okay? Um, and there are some who... Oh, Lordy. I don't, I don't know if I even want to touch that one. <laughs> Either of you guys want to take that one on? I will say that prayer is a good thing, and the prayer is even good going, you know, when seeking prayer and guidance for, for one's problems. Um, and uh, even in a more traditional Christian sense, you know, even putting one's faith that things will be provided for you, that answers will come with solutions for you. Um but that being said, is that I think the biggest issue when these things happen is that many times people almost expect kind of a miracle to drop out of the sky. I think, well, again, during the video show, somebody had given an example, and I believe it was Alan as well, you know, where someone had come and said, hey, I can help you do this, this, and this. And it's almost like the 
person saying no. It's like the old, uh, you know, joking, you know, that goes around, you know, about the guy drowning out in the ocean and a boat comes by. <laughs> and no, I prayed to God, you know, God's going to come, you know, and save me. And an airplane comes by. No, no, that's okay. God's going to save me. And he dies and he goes to St. Peter and he goes, why didn't God save me? Hell, we send you a boat and an airplane. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that, again, uh, we almost get this kind of uh, spiritual bypass or avoidance um, during prayer because we aren't in tuned with ourselves and enough with with kind of um, uh, with the spiritual realm when we are seeking prayer. Nothing wrong, Father Tony, with with you know you have a problem in seeking prayer in that, but I think that one has to kind of. Be aware of what its limitations are. I mean, you know, I myself would never be like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, my God, I can't pay my uh, my car insurance this month. God, please, you know, you know, all I need is $110 to make it appear. You know, um, probably not going to happen. But if I was to get off my ass and maybe go do a, you know, a photo shoot for uh, for this down the street by putting some action into there. And I think this is always kind of the key to almost any spiritual practice is that there has to be action followed through. And we also have to, again, be just, I think, aware of how blessings may take place. So what's the difference then between that and say a, uh, a money drawing uh, conjurer spell, you know, some voodoo or hoodoo ritual to, to draw money? I mean, you tell the joke about the guy in the, you know, the guy who's drowning, but mm -hmm. you know, is it, is there a, uh, is there a point to any of that then? Again, I mean, for 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 me, and this is simply for me. I'm not speaking of my church. I'm not speaking of anyone else. I tend for myself. And no animals were harmed during. And no animals were harmed. Yeah. Um, I tend to seek spiritual things and only spiritual things during prayer. I do for myself. You know, I do not seek material things. I do not seek out the common uh, problems of the day that I can solve myself or I should. Um, that being said, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the, you know, the, the hoodoo guy blah, 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 for money or whatever. Um, um Again, I think as long as one aware kind of karma and karmic reaction and how kind of the universe works, if one is willing to um, kind of make certain exchanges, that is kind of up to the individual practice. Um, but for me, you know, my prayers and my meditations tend to be only that on things spiritual and not for things material. I think for myself, prayer is a spiritual discipline that involves communication with God. Now, there are other tech, prayer techniques that involve the body, that involve breath, that involve the heartbeat, where there's kind of an internal alchemy going on. And I think that that's, um, that's a fairly, those are fairly advanced practices. What Alan was talking about is that there, there are some Christian churches that believe that all, all mental health problems are the result of sin. 
a person's individual sin and their mm -hmm. sinful nature, and therefore one should be asking God for forgiveness and deliverance from these mental health issues rather than seeking help. And these are churches that, by, by the way, would not hesitate to send somebody to the doctor for pneumonia or a broken arm, but they treat mental health. They don't regard, believe in the notion of mental illness, for example. They believe that all uh, so-called mental illness is, in fact, uh, behavioral and is the result of, of sin. So the the prayer the pray the you know the, the, the prayer the pay, pray the pain away um, in that context has a very very specific meaning. I do think that prayer is an invaluable uh, spiritual discipline. My concern with it, and I think that in some cases for many people, uh, having that discipline uh, brings a significant amount of order to their lives, which can be very mentally healthy. I believe that the ability to commune with spirit and to work with spirit or with God um, can also bring about great healing. I have a couple of concerns. One is that it is, in some cases, a very solitary practice. And while it might bring some temporary relief, or even if a person gets really into it, an emotional catharsis, that catharsis can provide temporary relief, but it may not resolve the issue. And you get into this cycle of things building up, breakdown, catharsis, and they get back into that. And that cycle can happen when a person is trying to do everything on their own. Um, and the second thing would be uh, that the there's also a real capacity for self-delusion. People are constantly hearing things in prayer uh, that cause them to get into all kinds of mischief. Um, you know, so I think that there there is that concern as well. So my position would be prayer is a cornerstone for many of us in, in our spiritual lives. It should not be discarded. It should not be ignored. It is part of our, it can be a very important part of our healing process, but we need to recognize its limitations. And that is, it is a solitary practice that does not typically invite a community, um, the community that we have uh, into that practice. Unless, of course, we're praying together as a community, which sometimes happens, but for a lot of Gnostics, our practice is solo, usually by necessity. So um, if a person is relying solely on prayer to deal with their mental health issues and, and this is not working, um, that is a sign, perhaps, that the prayer is important, but they also need to look outside and get other sort and look for other sources of support on that particular part of their healing journey. You know, if you look at it, you know, you talk about the hoodoo practitioners and all the rest. You know, I'm I'm not as familiar with that tradition, but of course, a lot of that has has somewhat been um, syncretized with some, you know, like the sixth and seventh books of Moses and things in that line. But you're reminding me of a conversation I had with Richard James, who was uh, the founder of the Wiccan Church of Canada, which was, um, uh, they actually own one of Gardner's Books of Shadows. So um, big name witches in Canada, as it were. And uh, he was telling me of the spell that he has for people who want to find a job. And he says, it always works. And, you know, it's, it's a certain thing with a candle and all the rest. But as part of this spell you have to take a block downtown every day that you are doing the spell and go to that block and, and fill in 
uh, job application forms and resumes. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and, and his point is that, you know, you have to do something in order to connect that in with the world. You know, even when I was hanging out with the people in religious science, which is basically magic without the smells and bells, but totally a mental viewpoint, um, they also talk about grounding it in the real world too. Um, and of course, in magical traditions, you have that whole idea of manifesting and, you know, the whole formula of the tetragrammaton finishes in, in Earth, you know. Um, so manifesting and bringing things and dealing with, with the world uh, as a result or in conjunction with prayer certainly isn't outside of the boundaries of, of a useful thing to do. Um, you know, I think that a lot of that can be used, but, uh, you know, it, it, you can't be unbalanced in your approach. You're, you're part of a community, even if you're solitary, sitting in a cell as an anchorite, you know, uh, you still exist within a group of people and you still have your challenges and that community is also part of your spiritual journey. And you have an obligation to help others that are on that path as well as they need to help you. So I think that that's part and parcel with prayer too, of whatever you call it, spell casting, whatever. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. Thank you. I, I have an interesting relationship to prayer myself. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in it, but, I, but like Bishop Canterbury, I, I don't exactly know where the, you know, praying for a new car kind of stuff fits in with it, you know, like, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm using that as a, as a broad example, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, no, that was very popular in a certain Buddhist sect uh, a few years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they would Buddhist, chant praying for, for cars. <laughs> yeah, they, they would chant for particular cars and, uh, and, and other material things and, uh, and get up and say their testimony and whatnot about it and how, you know, they got their their new car because they chanted for it, you know, but uh, it's Toyota's latest advertising campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was a Japanese Buddhist sect. Oh, there you go. But, <laughs> you know. oh, they got at least one for Alexis then. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so that's, that's kind of my, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Cause so I don't exactly know where, uh, you know, all of that um, uh, praying for stuff, uh, fits in with my whole spiritual thing because uh, on the one hand as a Gnostic, you know, stuff shouldn't be all that important, although we all need some stuff uh, mm -hmm. just to sustain our life here on Earth. But there's a there's a, certainly a, a history of asceticism in Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the same time, you know, there's a... If you, <laughs> if you take that you're praying to this ultimate transcendent godhead who this alien god who has almost nothing to do with the physical universe you know wh what do you pray to that guy about for the in the universe anyway you know so or then do you start praying to the intermediaries to the uh, to the uh, aeons and, and and all that stuff so um i don't have any answers i have a lot of questions and <laughs> maybe that could be a whole other show Sure. Well, you know, this this kind of this this discussion brought something up for me here, and um, that is, I do when I do some divinations with geomancy. One of the things that I've learned, we have a house chart that we put the geomantic figures in, mm 
astrological house chart. And one thing that I've learned to do is there may be some chart, some houses or even some figures in geomancy that I pay less attention to. And I've learned that I actually need to pay those, those figures and houses a little bit more attention because these may be blind spots in my own life. And just as a suggestion, um, uh, which this guy brought up here, that if we're talking about things that we don't like to pray for, we might want to look at that a little more closely. Why don't we like to pray for this, but why do we feel comfortable praying for that? Might this indicate a certain amount of spiritual bypassing in an area where, okay, we may be afraid or may be reluctant to pray for a material thing for ourselves, which may be because, you know, honestly, we don't need it, so we don't feel like praying for it. But is there a possibility, if we're feeling a very strong inclination to not pray, we feel very, we feel that we very definitely ought not pray for this thing, we might want to sit with that feeling for a while and figure out, okay, is this genuine renunciation of something material or is this something that we are suppressing? Do we think that we don't deserve a material thing? Or do we think that by renouncing something material that that's going to inherently make us a better person? That sort of thing. If we don't think that we, that they, that may be something worth looking at in a form of its, its own form of spiritual bypassing. When I was doing some research into the phenomena, that kept on coming up, that people will sometimes use it as a way of avoiding wants or desires or frustrations, um, and they and they will spiritually renounce these things, but there is, in fact, um, something very deep in their psyche that has these desires or has some, some negative some negative stuff that needs to be worked on around that issue. So that might actually be a, a, a thing to look at in prayer. Are there things that we don't like to pray about? Um, or do we avoid prayer? I mean, is, is, is avoiding prayer a way of avoiding intimacy? Possibility there. So Well, another possibility here is, is your concept of the divine small in some way? Is, is, it, is it that you don't think that the divine could do that for you or should do that for you? You know, I'm reminded of, of um, Isaac Bonowitz who, you know, always disparaged the magicians who said, oh, I only do high magic to evolve my soul. And he said, why aren't they challenging their own abilities by um, creating certain things, manifesting certain things? Because they they have some block in that way they have some spiritual block that says no the divine can't do that or i don't have that sense of power that i can manifest these things and you know it's like oh okay you know so is it is it your god is too small yeah yeah well you know, I think I, I think that you both have said some pretty insightful things that I'm going to cry about in my room. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. No, to no, no. no. I just it occurred to me while we were having the discussion that mm -hmm. you know that this this may be something for all of us to look at, and it might. Right. You know, why I think journaling is so important in a spiritual practice. Now that I think about it, is that we can look at and see what's not in our journals. And uh, that might actually give us a clue of some things that we need to work on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm reminded of the time that I was in an um, Enneagram workshop. 
this was years and years ago, and it was mostly populated by Catholics, but there was a, a Protestant pastor who had gotten into the Enneagram. And one of the interesting things that he talked about was the Enneagram is a pattern of personality. And gee, isn't it funny that people of certain Enneagram types, that's what their concept of God is, that type. Yes. That, yeah. And that the challenge is, is that, no, the divine is all nine of those types and more. But by knowing what our type is, we can see, oh, where are we limiting ourselves? Where are we limiting our concept of the divine? And how can we be challenged in that sense now, too? It, it was very, very telling. It was really uh, just a passing concept, but a wonderful piece of that workshop. Absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, before we get into something else here, we're coming up on our time. Uh, so uh, I want to give everybody a, a chance to add any final thoughts that they might have. Anybody else want to take a shot at my own personal psychology? That <laughs> Father Tony is a good egg. <laughs> and that's from Bishop Laney. <laughs> and he's not a breakfast food. He's just a good egg. Oh, uh, Very good. Uh, yeah, all I could say is all of these are important issues. I'm glad to hear that people are struggling with them, thinking about them. And, and I really thank Gnostic New York for, for, for doing this, this process here and, and allowing people to, to be in on these dialogues and to struggle with these things. Um, it's part of the spiritual journey to be able to look at these things. And some of these answers are not easy. You know, not for our spiritual leaders, certainly not for us when we're mm -hmm. in the midst of difficulties, but this is the stuff of our journey, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and if you need a little bit of a hand, please accept it. Go look for it um, because it can be the thing that you need for, to turn the page and start the new chapter that you really need. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's a very good point. There's, there's no need to go it alone. You know, there's uh, there are all kinds of people who are uh, ready, willing, and able to to help you out if you need a little help, and uh, and we all need a little help from time to time. Absolutely, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with asking for it. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, thank you once again, uh, Alan, for joining us uh, for your second appearance here on our show. It was uh, certainly a pleasure, and we hope to have you back again pretty soon. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so Thanks so much. Much, Alan. And for everybody watching along at home, we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Good, good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Thank you.